Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you were always meant to be on. Hey everyone, welcome back to another show. So glad that you're tuning in each and every week. We really appreciate it. Just want to remind everyone before we dive into our guest today that we air all of these episodes on our YouTube channel. So if you would prefer to see our wonderful faces versus just listening to our voices, definitely head over to our YouTube channel. We've got a ton of content there that will help you develop the mindset around leaving your W-2 job. Okay, so today we are talking with Catherine Burmeister, and she makes it a point to live every day. She's had some trauma that she experienced in her life that we're going to hear about today in the show and how she was able to overcome that and really all about her journey to happiness. She's an entrepreneur. She's an attorney, author. She's a speaker and a guide to high-level service professionals. She is known as the happiness lawyer. She speaks, writes, and guides high-level service professionals towards living a full life, both personally and professionally. You're definitely going to want to tune in here and listen to the full episode. Grab a pen, grab a notepad, and let's take some notes because she's really going to give us some great nuggets that we can take into our lives. Catherine, welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. We were chatting a little bit offline. You've got a great story and we definitely want to dive into that. Before we do that, though, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of context into a little bit about who you are? And then if we could go back into the story that we mentioned, I think that would be really helpful for the listeners today. Sure. So I am currently an attorney, soon to be recovering attorney, as I like to call it. I'm with my own legal practice, personal injury legal practice. I am transitioning away from traditional law to being what I branded as a happiness lawyer. So helping high-level service professionals find their happiness, which often includes overcoming the status quo and overcoming a fear of failure. So I help people figure out where they are now who they want to be and how to get there, which is a very challenging, to say the least, experience personally. But when you don't have anybody to help you, it's even more cumbersome. So that's what I'm doing now. Okay, this is great. So I'm just going to repeat this because I couldn't write fast enough. You help people discover who they are now. So Mm -hmm. that's like the first step, right? What were the other two things you said? Yeah, who they are now, who they want to be, and then how to get there. I think a lot of people don't take the time because we are so busy. And quite frankly, it's uncomfortable looking at who you truly are and your shortcomings because we all have them. Nobody's perfect. Perfection doesn't exist. And discovering who you want to be. Do you want to be that person for the rest of your life? Are you happy being who you are right now? And I think a lot of people would say no if they were being honest with themselves. So in a completely confidential and no judgment zone, I help individuals get to that point where they are living a happier life. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people will skip step number one because yeah. that really kind of you have to look deep into the past, you know, and which is a, a useful exercise. I know I skipped step number one for years. I said, well, let me just go right to three. I know what I want. <laughs> I just want to be happy. <laughs> yeah, I want to be happy. I want to have all the money in the world. And, right. you know, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just know that I want that. So I think the self-discovery step is super important. Maybe you could give us a little bit of maybe a step or two on how to accomplish that or how even to get started, maybe. Absolutely. So what I typically do with people is shift their mindset about how they look at themselves. So self-improvement and development, personal development is overwhelming to say the least. So I have people think of themselves, especially for the people I work with as professionals, look at yourself as a human startup. So if humans, you know, startup, a business startup, you have mission, vision, and values. If they're done correctly, they can be a very useful tool for a company. So when you're making decisions at any point in that business, you look to those as guides and boundaries for how you operate. So take those same principles and apply it to the individual looking at your mission, vision, and values. And when you have values in particular, it makes it so easy to start cutting out things in your life or bringing in things in your life that you need to make you be a better person. And when I say better, I mean for yourself as the individual. So a happier person. And that's living the ultimate life, right? Is being the best version of yourself. So when you start having boundaries, it's like playing soccer, not knowing where the boundaries are, right? You can't possibly do it well. So yeah. if you have those values that are guiding you, it makes things a lot easier and clearer to take the next step forward in achieving happiness. I really love that. I mean, you really do have to approach, I mean, maybe not your life as a business, but like, you know, when we're starting our own business or trying to improve it, like we're always doing all this planning, right? We need to right. do that with our own lives. And I think a lot of people neglect that, myself included. I did that for years and years and years. And it wasn't until I started doing that, that my life started to improve because I started working on myself. I love it. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. So the happiness lawyer, I love the name. And I'd be really, I think everyone would be curious to learn how you got to that point, how you came up with the name. And obviously there's some meat behind that as well. Sure. And some things you went through in your own life. Yeah. I'd always want to be a lawyer. I was, a, I guess, a special little child, nobody in my family from like middle school on, I wanted to be a lawyer and set myself on that trajectory. And I got through law school, got my first job out of it, my dream job. I was working with two other associates close to my age and a partner who had been doing this for 30 years. And he really let us learn by doing. He didn't keep us in the back room, you know, pushing papers. We actually got to do the work and learn well. And about a year and a half after all that started with them, I got a text at about two in the morning and midnight texts, early morning texts are never a good thing, generally speaking. I just didn't realize how bad it was going to be. Until I got in, we were asked to come in before the staff to talk with us attorneys. And we get there and it's myself and the other two associates, but our partner's not there. And we come to find out that our partner had committed suicide the day before. Hmm. He had been stealing from clients for eight years. He'd been stealing money from clients for eight years. And he left letters to us, to the state bar, detailing it, literally saying if it was between this and prison, this is the way he was going to go. And he had daughters, he had grandbabies. So needless to say, it was a shock. That's a huge understatement. But trying to even move forward from that, let alone the emotional impact of it, was absolute insanity. He had lied about the overhead to the senior associate to bring him on as a partner a month before this happened. 
So we very quickly realized how this business was not going to survive and really had to start making some decisions about what that looked like for the future. Mind you, we still had a full caseload, 70 some odd cases that we had to work. I mean, it doesn't stop. The world doesn't stop for this, especially in the legal system. It's not like you put it on pause. So myself, the senior associate and one paralegal, I agreed to go off and continue this firm or the new version of it with him, so long as there was full transparency. And we did that for about a year. And it was the most insane year of my entire life. It was spent in survival mode the entire time. I luckily had been very proactive about my self-care mental health for a number of years prior to this. I've had anxiety and depression since probably high school and have managed it and actively managed it. And so when this happened, it was good that I was already going to therapy and dealing with that, but nothing can prepare you for something like this. It doesn't matter how much therapy you have, (laughs) but I became the sounding board for my partner at that point, for my paralegal, and then clearly dealing with my own feelings about everything. And every day was a new insanity, you know, a new piece of information that came out that just threw us all for a loop over and over and over again. So that went on for about a year. My partner at that point, he checked out mentally and physically. He was, his name was on the door, but he was not participating. So I was running all these cases on my own and I was a new lawyer for all intents and purposes. I'd been practicing just over a year, even though I've been in the legal field, I was really only practicing as a lawyer for a year. So it was just survival mode. And I finally took a trip. Uh, I was halfway around the world and my paralegal calls me and asks for permission to do something that we need to, to prevent us from malpracticing. I was like, yes, of course, clearly go do it. But I'm like, why aren't you talking to our partner? Cause I'm halfway around the world. And he knew that she said, I can't get in touch with him. I was like, okay. So I get back in town thinking I'm going to have this conversation. Like, where were you? Why was this a problem? We should have, we talked about this before I left and he wasn't there. He was at a silent retreat in middle Georgia. And At that point, I just couldn't have another thought. I was so overwhelmed with carrying all this weight, the clients, my own, my colleagues, every waking minute of my life for that year had been spent worrying. There was no no pause and no off button for me, no matter what I did. So the only thing that I could finally think at that point in time was, I don't want to be here. I was starting to have suicidal ideations and luckily I knew enough to know that's where I was. And I was able to call my husband and he met me at home and we processed it and I dealt with it. And literally almost overnight, everything did a 180 for me in terms of my outlook. And it doesn't happen for everybody that way. It just happened for me because I think of everything aligning. But also when I wrote my book, Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo, I finally realized what did happen. I never knew the exact you know, thing that changed, but I finally proven to myself that I was enough. And up until that point, I never really had believed that. No matter how much I accomplished or achieved or accolades, whatever, never really believed it. And at that moment in that evening, it all shifted for me. And I was able to completely changed my perspective on what was important to me in life, what I believed about myself and what I was willing to tolerate or not tolerate at that point in time. Wow. What a great share. I appreciate you being vulnerable and and sharing the story. And yeah, that definitely is, you were under the gun there for a full year and that would break a lot of people, I think, based on what you had to go through. There's a lot to unpack there. A couple of things. I took a lot of notes, you know, worrying for a year. I mean, that's just that's awful to go through. Worry is a major deterrent for a lot of people to chase their dreams yeah. and to move forward because of all, all the fear and anxiety. 
I've had anxiety as well since I was younger. So I can certainly relate there. And again, I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You said you believe that you were enough. I believe that I was enough. You said there was a moment where that all turned around. Was that a conversation with your husband? Was that just a kind of an epiphany? Like describe that moment if you could. You know, it was that evening. I think I sat in the just being exhausted part and really allowed myself to feel because I really was in survival mode really until that point. And I don't know that it was an exact second or moment, but after I slept that night, I woke up just with this renewed sense of what I was going to tolerate and not tolerate. I mean, we all say, I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to be used and exhausted. But in my mind, I still was pushing myself to do it. I'm an overachiever by nature, A-type personality. I was all, I'm a recovering box checker. So I think all those things feed into that personality type. And finally, my body and mind had basically forced me to reset and recognize not only did I not want to be that way. I was okay accepting that. It's a whole other ball game to actually feel what you know you want to feel. You know, it's hard to align that because it's difficult. Even if it's better for you, it's so counterintuitive to what you've been doing for so many years that actually getting yourself to feel that way is a whole other can of worms, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I got a kick out of the recovering box checker. That was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many people I know, and some are still box checkers, but I literally thought that would happen. I get to this point in my life if I did everything right, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and I would be happy. And I wasn't. And even before this happened, I wasn't happy. And so I was really having an existential crisis about what that meant, what my out you know, looked like, what that meant for me in long term. Did I want to be a lawyer? And then let alone having this piled on with the partner and then when I hit my rock bottom, that's why I call my rock bottom is having the suicidal ideations. I didn't know where to go from there. I didn't want to go work for somebody. I mean, I as, as crazy as the year before had been, the idea of having to go work for someone, I just didn't know that I could do it. It was just, I think, broken me at that point almost. So I finally decided, again, never wanted my own law firm, never wanted my own business I figured, what's the worst that happens? It doesn't work out. And I go get a job somewhere for somebody. So that's what I did. My partner and I ended it on amicable terms. We still speak to this day. And I took half the cases and started my own law firm. And I'm somebody who I born and raised in Georgia, but I didn't have like an inherent network. It wasn't like I was from a good old boy's family like that. Like I had to learn how to start generating my own business because it's great having a full caseload but you've got to work the cases. And then clearly you've got to get more business to keep it coming down the pipeline. So it was a lot. It was a huge learning curve, but I really rose to the task. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things. I think when you, when you know, there's no other option for all intents and purposes, you figure it out. And that's what I did. I went into survival mode again, almost, but in a healthier way, I think in the long run. After you woke up that morning, did you go in like the next day and decide and have that conversation with your partner? Or was there a gap there where you just started your own firm? It was a couple of days and I talked to him and I really, because plenty of people had asked me, why didn't you leave sooner? Like, this is a mess. Mm -hmm. You don't owe anybody anything. And I didn't, but I felt like I owed myself. I wanted to be able to walk away saying, I know that I've done everything possible to try to make this work. And I finally sat down with him. I was like, this is not working, at least of which we're all stressed, but you are in a different place mentally. Your name's on the door. I can't care more about this business than you do. And while you were you know, at a silent retreat, which you didn't tell me about and clearly knew I was out of the country, I was having to deal with suicidal ideations. So I feel like we're on different pages about what we're going to look like as a business. That's really where it all shifted for me. But I got my business up and going 
in two weeks. That's really how fast I was able to pull it together. I had been doing a little bit of research, kind of seeing the writing on the wall and having a hint that this might be something that came up. So I was ahead of the game in that regard. But in terms of shifting gears, getting incorporated, getting logos done, name, website, it was about two weeks. And I started out remotely, which was very fortuitous because when COVID came along, I was still remote. There was no sense for my clients or myself to have you know, the overhead, especially starting out of a building to pay for. And then when COVID hit, it was very helpful not to have that. Right, right. I love what you said about what's the worst that could happen. Yeah, right? exactly. At this point, literally nothing else worse could happen. So it's kind of nice in a way. It took all the fear out of it. I never would have wanted my own business because I think I would have been so afraid of failing. And that I think is a huge thing for professionals is this fear of failure, this fear of being thought of as less than, you know, the next person or even less than what you think you should be, quote unquote. And gosh, that negative self-talk, I tell you, it is insane how much you can believe that. But it makes sense. You keep telling yourself that for years and years and years because of your own thoughts, but then also, you know, what other people put on you and external expectations. That's what I call the status quo. It makes sense that it drives people to do things to themselves and, you know, mentally wear themselves down. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we are conditioned to be, you know, you mentioned survival mode many times. We're conditioned to be in survival mode. Yes. So like your cushy corporate W-2 job that pays you every two weeks or a month and you have all these benefits, like that feels safe for a lot of people. So as soon as you get into something that's, you know, of you know, as goes against the status quo, I'm sure this is in your book, which we're going to give the link for that in a second, you know, you start to have all this negative self-talk and you're looking for ways to talk yourself out of it. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. 100%. Like I said, in any other circumstances, I never would have started my own business. Mm. It was just when I literally felt like there was nothing worse that could happen because I'd been through the worst of my life. I had no fear. And that was something else that changed overnight for me. But I mean, my goal now is to help people not have to get to that point, right? You don't have to get to eight, nine, 10 on a spectrum of one to 10 in terms of stress, anxiety, or depression before you start doing something for yourself. I think we think we have to pay our dues and you know everybody else does it. So I'm going to keep doing it. What are you proving? You were literally proving nothing and taking away from yourself that you're, and you're never going to get that back. You're never going to get that time, that energy, you know, that time for happiness back. So really teaching people that, yes, you know, you can overcome adversity after hitting rock bottom, but why are you going to let yourself get to that point? There's no sense in doing that. No, don't get to rock bottom is the lesson here. There's no need to do that. I love that you said that. Tell us about the book. Give us the name again, Catherine, and then where can we go get it? Sure. Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo is the title of it. You can get it on Amazon. You can also go to my website, thehappinesslawyer.com, and it'll link you to Amazon and my social media as well. That is such a clever title, Addiction to the Status Quo. I really like that. And then going with the happiness lawyer as well. That's super cool. So what are some of the things that you're doing or that you're helping people with to get to that happiness place? Because yeah. it, it sounds like it took you a while to get there. <laughs> it did. And in fact, I mean, just as an example for your listeners, as much as I didn't think I was going to have my own law firm, 
hmm. or my own business. I had both at that point. I've been doing this for, since 2018. And then last year, I really realized that it wasn't as fulfilling and I wasn't as passionate about the day-to-day work of being a lawyer as I could be or I had been. So I started looking, of course, having these ideas of like, well, if I'm not a lawyer, what am I? And, you know, because I tie, even though I'd done so much work on it and I teach people not to do this, my identity really was tied to being a lawyer because I'd wanted to do this and put so much effort into it for so long. Right. Mm -hmm. So the idea of shifting away from that really scared me, but I knew I needed to. And when I started thinking about what I'd experienced, what I'd written my book about, I know there's so many unhappy lawyers, particularly, but there's a lot of unhappy service professionals out there because they've done the same thing. They've set themselves on this path and set themselves on, you know, a path of expectations, you know, their own external expectations, and they're not happy, but they never stop to think, does this make me happy? Or if they did, they're so afraid of failing that they're not going to get off that path. So I really realized that I had a skill set to share with other people, not least of which my experience and going through it myself. I am a professional that, you know, actually can relate to these people's experiences. And on top of that, I use a lot of neuropsychology to really reprogram habits because that's the biggest thing. Just telling someone to be happy and, you know, meditate is not going to cut it. You really have to reprogram your mind because I always think about like water running down a hill, right? It makes all these like creases and, you know, runs in the, in the ground and the mm-hmm. land. You can't just change that overnight. You have to, you know, consciously do it and then start running in a different direction. And your mind is the same way with habits. You have to reform it and reformulate where it goes. So really taking the time to invest in it is a huge commitment, but it doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't happen, you know, checking off a box or 10. (laughs) Again, back to your box checking recovery. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if you could just tell somebody to be happy in it? Of course. They just woke up tomorrow and they were happy. No, all kidding aside though, I'd be curious to know Number one, how you wrote the book, or did you have any fears or anxiety around writing the book? Because, you know, I think a lot of people do. And then what did that do for you going through that process of writing? I had originally talked to this a ghostwriter who does a lot of emotional stories and transformational stories right after everything happened with my partner committing suicide. And it was too soon. It wasn't the right time. And it would have been a very different book. And I broke off and my ghostwriter had seen that on social media that I had my own firm and she reached back out. She said, I'd love to hear what you're doing, how it's going. And so I talked to her again and I really realized it would be cathartic for me. And also I wanted to, like I said, help people hopefully not go through the same thing that I did. And it was a perfect time. It was far enough removed that I could be a little more objective about it, but it wasn't so far removed from the situation that I didn't remember the feelings. And let me tell you, (laughs) when you're writing that, and I am such an authentic person, that's one of my values. I live by professionally, personally at all times. I was reliving those moments in my life. And it was hard because it just, it all came back, flooding back to me. And then the process of writing is not difficult for me as a lawyer. I've done well, and it's a different type of writing, clearly, but being authentic anyway and writing, that wasn't the challenge. It was going through it, reliving it. And then when I published it, really connecting the dots, like people are going to be reading this. <laughs> like it sounds so obvious, but until you're like, oh, this is going to be on a shelf for people to read about your story. That was a hurdle for me to overcome because as much as I wanted to share it, you're really sharing it. You're attaching your story to your face. And I'm saying out loud that I have anxiety and depression. I had suicidal ideations. That's an extremely scary thing to come to terms with and be willing to share with people you don't know, or even people you do know. Yeah. So you were nervous about 
or anxious about how it might be received, you know, the, the negative or the negative feedback potentially of right. being vulnerable. Yeah, which I tie back to, you know, when you said, when we talked about, you know, people having the fear of leaving their job or their situation, you know, what I discovered is that a lot of people that I work with are afraid of living up to it, like being successful. Like, oh, yeah. oh what's going to happen if I'm a success? You know, what's that going to look like? And again, they stay in that survival mode. I got off track there, but I just wanted to tie the two together. I don't know if that's something you that resonates with you or not. It does. It does. Yeah. As much as I had made progress up until that point, I'm still making progress. I'll reiterate, this is a journey, you know, self-improvement and happiness. But I still was worried because it is extremely vulnerable to put out there your challenges and something I was still going through and I still deal with. I mean, anybody who has any info about anxiety and depression knows it doesn't just go away. And so it's something that's still there. But to be able to say that out loud was very freeing after a certain point. To be able to share my story and own it was very cathartic. And I've never, ever had somebody come to me or even leave comments like, oh, this is horrible. Like, I think less of you as a lawyer or whatever. And I'm extremely open about it. I'm open with my clients about it because I know they go through a lot of emotional trauma. And when they get injured, I've never had anybody say something. And even if they did, what are they going to say? Oh, you've been successful in life and you're happier, but you have anxiety and depression. So you're less of a person. I mean, come on, that's not going to have any weight with me. Yeah, no. And I really think that sharing your story and being authentic and vulnerable like you are is really giving, that's a way for you to give back because there's people right. out there that need to hear your story. There's people listening that are going to resonate with this 100%. And I asked you about the books for a specific reason. I just believe that everyone, you know, they might not have a story like yours as traumatic as yours, but there's, everyone's got a story. Everyone's got something inside of them that can bring value to other people. And I would just encourage everyone to, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a book, but it can be right. anything. It can be a podcast, it can be a blog, whatever. You know, it's just sharing your story is very powerful for yourself and for other people who need to hear it. And if it's just, hey, one or two people, I mean, you're making a difference, right? Absolutely. And I remember the first podcast interview I did, I was talking with a gentleman about it. And I said, you know, for a long time, I had a hard time getting over the idea of sharing my story, not just because of the vulnerability aspect, but also because I'm a very empathetic person and I'm huge into activism and human rights and civil rights and all that. So to me, the idea of me sharing my story was not that big of a deal in terms of compared to other things people have gone through, right? I've come from an upper middle class white family. I've done very well. My parents have been very loving and giving to me. I, you know, wow, poor baby type thing, right? And so I didn't want to take away from other people's stories, but it was really interesting. He said, you know, that may be true. And he was a person who grew up in a single parent home, really was in a bad area of town for a long, you know, all of his years growing up and changed his life. He said, but there's going to be people that can relate to that. And that's why it's important. It's not taking away. There's plenty of room for everybody's story to be there. And so when you saying that, that's so incredibly true. It's sharing your story, even though it may not seem like a quote unquote big deal to you, could be a really big deal for somebody else. And it helps normalize the conversation about things not being perfect, like it is on social media or whatever. You know, We have this idealistic view of what we should be. And the reality is we all know it. It's not that way, but it's a hard time you know, to actually say that out loud and admit that to yourself, let alone other people. 
Yeah, great point. Great point, Catherine. And I felt the same way about my story. You know, my story is I was in a job that I hated for almost 18 years and I was missing my son grow up. And I've told it so many times, like it's ad nauseum. Like I've said to my coach, like, I'm sick of saying it. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm tired of hearing it. And then he tells me, he's like, look, other people aren't tired of hearing it. Like yeah. you need to say it, you need to keep telling it. And as the years go by and I tell the story, I end up discovering more about it. Like I release more and I get a little bit more vulnerable with it. So it's actually, it's helpful for me too, to kind of talk about it because, you know, I have this platform now where I can discuss it and I go, I have a therapist. I've been seeing a therapist for like three, four years and there's nothing wrong with me. Like I don't need right. to be fixed. I'm not broken. It's just part of, like you said, the journey to happiness and growth. It's like, it, it never stops. I think that's a good point to make because I am so passionate about mental health is if it hasn't been normalized for you, it was in my household growing up because my family has a history of it. But if you aren't used to it, you think there has to be something wrong for you to go get help or talk to a therapist or that you need a diagnosis of you know anxiety or depression to start getting help. That is not at all the case. I understand why people are uncomfortable, you know, going and talking to somebody about themselves and their past. And that's why I think coaches can serve a role too. I mean, or somebody like myself, you know, it's a different type. We're not therapists, clearly, but you're still looking at yourself and looking at self-improvement in a way that's proactive as opposed to reactive, which so many people do. But there's nothing wrong with going to therapy. It's like anything else you have in your life. Like, are you going to wait till you have a heart attack before you start taking care of what, how, you know, how you eat and exercise. No, generally speaking, we want to be proactive about it. Same thing, just because you can't see it or like measure it on a scan doesn't mean that there's not something there that you need to work on. So that's why it's so important to actually be willing to get help and talk to people before you get to, like I said, that eight, nine and 10 on the spectrum of one to 10 stress. Yeah, totally proactive. We all need help. I mean, in, in all walks of life, we all need help. We shouldn't be doing any of this by ourselves. No, alone. no. I mean, I didn't even though I've gotten to this point. I had my family. I had my therapist. Just I had so many people supporting me. Can you imagine trying to do it alone? I mean, it's almost impossible. Why do that to yourself? You're not, again, going to prove anything. You're just going to make it harder. And to me, the saddest thing that can happen to people not being proactive and not doing something now, even if they're miserable in what they're doing, it's so incredibly scary to try to turn away from what you know, is do you want to get to the end of your life, whenever that may be, and look back and say, wow, I really wish I had done X, Y, and Z. And none of us know how long we have. I know that's kind of a morbid thought, but the reality is something could happen tomorrow. And we all have bills to pay. Clearly, we all have base needs that we have to meet. We have to go to work, but we can live a better quality of life and in a way that encounters challenges and adversity in a healthy way and doesn't just absolutely destroy us or just wear on us so much to where we can't be happy in other any other area of our life. Yeah. Wow. So awesome. What a great share. I was one of those people, you know, yeah. who thought they could do it on their own. And, yep. you know, all it did was bring me regret, resentment and anger. And it wasn't until I opened up and started to, you know, notice the signals and the signs where things started to change. So again, listen to Catherine, get help, be proactive. Where can we go to find more about The Happiness Lawyer? I, again, I just love that name. Yeah, my website, thehappinesslawyer.com. Again, that'll link to blog posts, to other interviews that I've done under news, my social media. And I'm always willing to talk with people. I really am an open book. I told you that before I got on here, no pun intended, but I am. I truly am. And I think that's one of the things that does set me apart from other people is that I've, and like you, you've been through it. You know, we can relate in so many ways and be like, yeah, I remember when I was there and doing yeah. that and experiencing that. So, and creating an environment for people to feel comfortable to share that, I think is huge. 
Awesome. So what are maybe one or two things that you do on a daily basis that really keep you on this journey, this path to happiness consistently? Yeah, I set boundaries. That's one of my biggest ones. And that is not limited to professional life. That's personal. It's your entire life. You need to set boundaries and healthy boundaries. So that expand on that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, that's okay. Sure. So as an example, I have a family member in my life that is pretty toxic and I'm sure we probably all have one. And there's a lot of backstory, but ultimately I've learned that I need to set boundaries and communication with this person. And so that's what I do on a daily basis. I don't get drug into something that I know is going to take away from my comfort, my center, my you know happiness overall. And I have to set those boundaries. It also means setting boundaries with my clients. I don't answer my phone before a certain time. I don't answer it after a certain time. Even if it's potentially a new case, I just, that's something I've set in stone. Could it be I miss business? Perhaps. But at the same time, I don't particularly want to work with somebody that doesn't respect my time. And to me, there's nothing emergency in my business. There's no such thing as really emergencies that can't be fixed the next day at 9am, right? And it's also setting boundaries with my colleagues. I have some opposing counsel that are just be banging down my proverbial door trying to get in touch with me. It's like, I'll get back to you when I can. You know, I'll let them know, but it's just because they want it when they want it doesn't mean they're going to get it. And that's okay. That's totally fine. I always like to put things in perspective this way. You know, did anybody die or is anybody going to die? 99% of the time, the answer is no. And the other thing is, can we do anything about it? Well, if you can, do it. If you can't, learn from it and move on. I mean, there's no sense in dragging something with you that you can't change. That's one of the biggest things is setting boundaries in that way. And then also self-care. So that can look like a multitude of things. That can be meditation. That can be going and getting a massage. That can be spending time with your dog on the trails. That can be just vegging out and watching one of your favorite shows. But always taking time for yourself is a huge part of who I am. I'm an introvert at heart. I'm an only child. So I think that drives a big part of it. But also, I think you need that time to reflect. Even if you're not any of those things, you need time to sit with yourself and be there and really understand who you are. And it may be uncomfortable sometimes sitting with those thoughts, but you're not going to improve or change your situation without doing that. And you're the only one that can change your situation at the end of the day. Nobody else can do that for you. Wow. Amazing. I love the set boundaries part. I'll just, you really crushed that. I'll just add to that. Just because the notification bell goes off on your phone doesn't mean that you have to respond. It doesn't mean that you have to. We're like Pavlov's dog. I mean, when those little dings go off, we're like, okay, you know, and you just don't. I promise you, I promise you the world is not going to come crashing down or crashing down if you don't answer. It's not. It's not. And I like what you said about, you know, as somebody, again, not to, you know, make light of death, but, you know, that's a reason to respond. Right. Or, you know, as I say, unless the house is on fire, you know, it can wait. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. One of the other things I think is important and I talk about a lot is work-life balance, which I hate to break to everybody. There's no such thing. And people kind of get taken aback when I say that I'm coming to speak to them about that topic in particular, but it's true. There's, first of all, everybody has a finite amount of time. We all do, right? Mm -hmm. It's how you spend it. And that's your balance. So it's not going to just be work. and It's not going to just be life. You have to decide how you're going to allocate that time, first of all, for your your own benefit. Second of all, it's going to be different from day to day. Some days you may be a great employee. Some days you may be a great parent. Some days you may be a great you know, child. 
you know, it may not be the same one every day. And that's okay. As long as you're being purposeful about it and taking care of all aspects of your life, that's what matters at the end of the day. Couldn't agree more. Work-life balance is just a clickable headline. That's all that is. So I have nothing to add to that. You are absolutely 100% correct. And the most successful people agree with what you just said. Okay. So give us the website one more time for the book and for Happiness Lawyer. And we'll leave it in the show notes. Thehappinesslawyer.com. And again, that links you to Amazon to go to buy my book, Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo, my social media and what I'm doing. And I do want to say about the title, when I use the word addiction, I'm not being flippant. I genuinely believe it is an addiction. It's a socially validated addiction. And it can be challenging to get help for that because turns out it's not a formal diagnosis. You know, you can't go to a group or an AA meeting like that. And we're all buying into it, right? But the reason it's an addiction is we're doing things to our own detriment that affect ourselves and others to keep up with this. And that's literally like what an addiction is. You keep doing the same negative things and habits and patterns, even though it's detrimental. And so that I genuinely believe it is. It's just while doing it and all agreeing to do it, sadly. Yeah, I agree. So many golden nuggets here. Catherine, please grab the book. I can't stress this enough and get in touch with Catherine. She's got a lot of knowledge and I know she can help you. And before we wrap up, Catherine, do you have any final thoughts or anything maybe that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share with us today? Yeah, I like to share a quote from my book, take courage in who you are and what you deserve. I know it's easy to put ourselves in the back burner or think that we're not worth it, especially when things are so challenging. You are worth it. You're the only one, like I said, that's going to do this. You can't expect as much as people may love you and want you to do well and help you. No one can do this for you. You have to be ready to start this process. And it takes just one step to start it. It may be overwhelming, but like I said before, there's plenty of resources out there to help you. Beautiful. I love that quote. What a way to end it. Okay, Catherine, thank you so much for being on today and sharing your insight. I've learned a lot. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for teaching us. Everyone, make it a great day. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to www.w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W-2 prison break. Here's to busting you out.